part of Double P Media, doublepmedia.com. Spoiler alert, when this podcast talks about the books of his dark materials, it does so in the context of the most recent book. And when it talks about the television show on the BBC and HBO, it does so in the context of the most recent episode. You've been warned. You're listening to The Dust, a His Dark Materials podcast. Hey, welcome back to The Dust. Are you excited as you get this podcast? We're just about to get the first two episodes of His Dark Materials Series 3 released on HBO and HBO Max. Now, there's a lot of weird things going on about the release schedule, and I'll get to that in a minute. But today, this is a special musical podcast looking over Lauren Balfe's kind of conceptual album he calls the musical anthologies uh, this one for series three of his dark materials and it covers a lot of themes that we will probably hear not done in the same way usually it's just kind of his way of presenting the themes to the showrunners before the scoring actually occurs for the series but nonetheless they are themes that we will hear most of the time with each progressive album it's been new themes with fewer kind of situations where older themes that we've already heard is applied because of that some of these titles may be considered spoilery about who the theme is about or about possible certain situations within the season and for those of you who want to remain spoiler three free as we go over these cuts from the new album which was released on december 2nd you can get it everywhere spotify amazon music i encourage you to buy it don't just listen to it for free because he only gets like a tenth of a penny per listen i would much rather that you go out and buy the album somewhere uh, from either apple music or amazon music or wherever you get your music but nonetheless whatever you do if you look at these titles and you don't know anything about what's happening with Series 3, then you might be spoiled a little bit. So what I'm going to do as we review these is I'm not going to include the title. But if it is about a particular character, even one that we have not heard of yet in the story, I will be calling them out by name. I will be examining how musically that represents that character but I will do my best not to spoil any story aspects regarding that particular character. So I just want to make that perfectly clear. There may be some mild spoilers in this podcast, even though I'm just talking about music that while the themes will probably be present in the series, they won't be presented in this way. That's just the nature of this beast. When releases happen before a show comes out, you can get spoiled by titles and everything. One thing I will do is I will not mention the title by name. If you are one person who is just listening to this on Amazon or looking at at Spotify or whatever, I will only say what the cut number is. And if it addresses a character, I will say who the character is. But other than that, I will do my best not to give you any spoilers just so that our TV only audience can feel fairly safe listening to this podcast because to me the music is always one of the most important things about a television show i know i'm a little bit you know 
biased in that way, but that's just the way that it goes for me. Now, as I mentioned, there is a really weird release schedule for his dark materials between the United States and the UK. I'm assuming that you can get HBO Max or some version of it throughout the world, but I still don't know what kind of restrictions might be placed on things that are going to be released on the BBC or in European distributors of the BBC in relation to HBO. So I don't know how this is going to go exactly in terms of this kind of what feels like a very rushed release of this series, which I'm a little bit angry about. But we will start getting two new episodes a week, which is a lot of episodes, uh, on HBO Max starting this week, uh, December 5th. And the entirety of the series, as I understand, is going to be released on BBC iPlayer on December 18th, which means that then the people in the UK will have three or four episodes ahead of us in the US. So this is really weird. But what Holly and I have planned to do, and Holly will be with us this week uh, when we cover episodes one and two of series three of His Dark Materials, what we plan to do is to release our podcast on Thursdays. So you will have Mondays to watch the two episodes and to get us your feedback in. And then we will record on Wednesday nights and release the podcast on Thursdays. So you will get a podcast covering episodes one and two of series three this coming Thursday. As you listen to this one, it's, and if not, then just go back into the feed and, and find it. After we do these podcasts for Series 3, we will discontinue this podcast, but we will leave the feed up. So please stay with us. I don't think we're ever going to do any special episodes on readings or whatever. If for some reason they would perchance decide to do The Book of Dust uh, as a, another series, then we could possibly return uh, but that's a lot of ifs, ands, or buts. And the way that HBO is treating this in terms of the BBC, probably due to the discovery takeover of Warner Brothers, uh, they're, they're really just kind of shumming, shutting down all kinds of things and shunning uh, a lot of the BBC programming. And, and it feels like the partnership is falling apart, which I think is very unfortunate because it's created a great partnership. And I'm really mad. Uh, about Discovery Channel leaning towards giving us Chip and Go Joanna Gaines episodes over good stuff like his dark materials. But that's an editorial for another day. Uh, I'll probably bog Holly down with that when we get into our podcast later this week. Just wanted to let you know we are releasing on Thursdays and we do want to hear from you. We want to hear your three words descriptions. So I will put tweets out. Well, as long as Twitter still exists, I will continue to put tweets out asking for your three word descriptions of the first two episodes or the third and fourth episode or the fifth and sixth episode or the two final episodes of his dark materials each week during the month of December. I want you to let us know your three word description. I also want you to let us know your thoughts regarding each episode. Please feel free to email us, tweet us, whatever. And I'm going to give you all of that information in a minute. I want also to hear what kind of what's worst questions you might have. As you know, part of the whole double P shtick that we are now part of 
is the fact that when we do the double P, we ask a question about a situation in an episode, what's worse? And then uh, Holly argues one side, I have to argue the opposite side or vice versa. And then we put it on a poll for you guys to decide. And we're going to continue to put those polls up on Twitter as long as Twitter still exists. We're just kind of there to watch it all burn down. We're going to be there until there's nothing but ashes left, I promise you. Uh, but in the case that it doesn't hold up for much longer, I still want to give you this information at the Dust Podcast on Twitter. That's where you can find all of that stuff that I just talked about. It's where you can reach us most quickly. You can also reach us by emailing mattsaudioblog at gmail.com. Or you can leave comments on our website at mattsaudioblog.com. Let me just spell that for you. M-A-T-T-S audioblog.com. Matt's Audioblog, same spelling, is also the home of our Hive social media presence. Uh, we're kind of trying to migrate to Hive social as a backup uh, for when Twitter does finally burn down, if it burns down. Uh it, it just it's getting pretty crazy, but we will continue to try and survive on Twitter as long as we can. But our backup is Matt's audio blog on Hive, M-A-T-T-S audio blog on Hive. Guess what? Our parent company, Double P Media, also has a Hive. You can also find our videos and comment on them on their YouTube channel. Their YouTube channel is youtube.com slash C slash the word double, the letter P, the word media. Or if you wish, now YouTube has these handles. They've kind of changed everything up in the last four months or so. And these handles are just a simply youtube.com slash an ampersand, uh, at symbol, and then the same handle name. So it would be youtube.com slash at double P media. Now, if you want to reach them in any other ways, uh, well, as long as these, some of these ways still continue to exist, Facebook still exists. You can find the Double P Media Facebook page by going to facebook.com slash the word double, the letters PHQ, that stands for Podcast Headquarters. Same spelling for Twitter, while it still exists until it completely burns down. And on Instagram, which doesn't seem like it's going anywhere, it's pretty healthy social media. And for Hive as well, Hive Social. So look for them on there if you wish to find out all of the great kind of programming that Double P Media is doing. That's enough rambling. I want to get into this particular album of Lauren Baus. It's a great album that has a lot of beautiful music on it. Let's get into the music. Now, because I dilly-dallied around and spoke too much at the beginning, I'm only going to have time to cover the first five cuts as they appear on the album. The first five. So I won't get to as many character names that you don't know as I thought I would originally, but I will still will get to at least one. So just be forewarned one last time. If you don't want to be spoiled about any character names or anything and you're completely book free and you want to keep it that way, then maybe this podcast isn't for you. We'll continue on with cut one so that you don't have to hear me ramble anymore. Well, you'll hear me ramble this whole podcast, but cut one actually has two principal parts that are woven into it. And 
I'll just say this. As you know, we are traveling through different worlds in this story, and this theme may be applicable to as much. Don't know which worlds, but this has a a little bit of a development within in the middle that indicates shifts, perhaps worldly shifts. Another thing that is interesting is that the harmony modulates a lot, which indicates a shift in perception or perhaps in reality, uh, perhaps the reality of another world, maybe. And the melodic shape has very high peaks, but it also has a call and response to it, whereas one part of the melody goes one direction, another part of the melody kind of answers it going down in the opposite direction. So these kinds of things tend to have being grounded in two or more different things, if you know what I'm saying. It's like you definitely have two entities in it where one is doing the call, the other is doing the response, and that's represented with the timbres, meaning the instruments that are played, whereas the notes that reach up tend to be more high-string and woodwinds, and where the response goes down in the opposite direction, you have timbres of brass and lower strings. Now, there is a middle development section, but I'm only going to concentrate on the primary melody, which is stated pretty much up front. It sounds like this. So what makes this otherworldly? It's the use of an interval, meaning the distance between notes that we call a tritone. And the tritone interval happens both in the melody and in the harmonic shifts. The thing about a tritone is it is an interval between notes that only exists in two places in a major scale and in two places in in specific minor scales and usually they function as a way to create a place to jump to a resolution especially when they're played at the same time but even sometimes when they're played sequentially and one thing that's great about them is that if it creates that tension and no real resolution comes that's especially tense where that occurs in that melody I just played is when we get to the dominant chord, the five chord, which is trying to resolve back to the one. But the first melody note that we hear is actually a tritone away from the position of that chord, which is what makes it weird. This note is the one I'm talking about. It awkwardly resolves to the five chord to make it complete before we can move back home. And that's what creates the feeling of weirdness, but not necessarily a feeling of complete desperation where we're not getting resolution. We are getting the resolution, but because we get that resolution, it just feels weird rather than completely tense as if it didn't resolve. Now the harmony also jumps a tritone. As I mentioned, this happens both melodically, that was the melody, and it happens harmonically in the next phrase. But the tritone that follows in the harmony actually follows the scale. It's one of the existing ones that's already in the harmony. So it resolves in its own way as well. And thus, because that chord 
is made major instead of minor, we get a weird feeling because normally in that key it would sound minor, but in this case it sounds major. Finally, one thing that's really great about this theme and something that helps put us a little bit more at ease and just makes those tritones feel weird instead of extremely tense is the use of the major four chord in some places. Now, normally in a minor key, which is what this is centered in, normally we get a scary or a sad feeling and of the minor four chord is what helps that a lot. And normally a four chord in minor is minor. But there are places in this theme where we also get a major four chord. And the major four chord sometimes helps us to get over the complete overwhelmingness of the darkness and adds a little bit of hope to it. Now let's move on to cut two, where it's really difficult for me to say what this theme is about without giving too much away. So let's just concentrate on what the music tells us. And I'm really not even going to play too much of this because playing it on a piano really wouldn't do it justice because there's a lot of power in it, especially with the use of strings and brass and percussion in this piece. There's a whole lot of power in this. And there are also big leaps in the melodic shape, especially in the introduction of the piece. And I want you to just listen to it or purchase it and listen to it uh, to really get what a, a sense of what I'm talking about because it would be difficult to demonstrate on the piano. The piece is primarily in a minor key, which gives it a seriousness, of course. But again, just like in the prior piece, there are parts where the four chord, which tends to make us feel how minor a minor thing is, how serious a minor thing is, there is an occasion of a major four chord which adds a little bit of hope and thus we start to think that all of this power that we're experiencing from the timbres may be for a good cause right uh, the major four chord in a minor piece always feels slightly triumphant and especially with these timbres especially with these instruments on top of that there's one particular shift in the harmony that gets used at least twice in this cut that I love because it creates a moment of unsuredness first and then it resolves to almost a feeling of determination. Almost like you feel like the bottom is almost falling out but then something solidifies that floor underneath you. I'm talking about this. Now, what is that? Why does it feel unresolved and then resolved? Well, once again, we're moving from a note that normally doesn't fit the key. It's a tritone. Seems to be a theme for this season, doesn't it? A tritone of the root that ends up, in fact, actually moving up to a note that does fit the minor key. And it's that tritone that makes us feel unsteady, but then it's the resolving to a note that feels like it still needs to climb, that gives us that feeling of support from underneath. Moving on to cut three, I will tell you, as I said before, I have to mention character names. I will tell you that Azriel's name is mentioned in this cut. I'll keep the context of that as cloaked as I can. Uh, I'll just say this. Remember at the end of season two, when Azriel was asking angels to help him in the fight against the authority? 
this might have something to do with that and with Azrael himself. Now, this composition, again, has two parts. Both are in minor, so it is a serious piece. But let's think about it. Azrael is a pretty serious guy. Still, in both parts, there is an occasional major four chord that appears. And I've talked about this over and over again, but the major four chord tends to add hope where the minor four chord tends to add dread or more seriousness or more sadness. And one of the things that I can interpret about this theme in terms of bouncing between the major and the minor four chords is that we actually hear the major chord first and then the minor chord second. And that tells us that Azrael's cause is probably noble with that major four chord because that's hopeful. Then when we get the minor four chord, we are reminded about Azrael himself and how sometimes he will do some pretty dark things like killing Roger to meet the end goal of a noble cause, right? He, he, will, he will go outside the box and sometimes it's not always necessarily a good thing, uh, but he's doing it for the right reasons, let's say. Additionally, there are some rhythmic things in this piece that give Azrael and his mission a sense of urgency. And what I mean by that is that it feels a little more frantic or a little more agitated even. As I play this part, I want you to note how some of the notes in the first part hold on longer, but then some are very short. The rhythm is a dotted eighth note to a sixteenth note. And it kind of gives this kind of quick little jolt to everything. That helps add the sense of urgency. So it occurs in this first part, which I'll play now. Now, in the second part, everything gets huge, and I mean huge. The melodic shapes climb up higher than they ever have been in this melody before, and there's things going on in the strings, fast lines that are moving that help create that sense of intensity that the first part of the melody did with those little short notes. I can't play the melody and the harmony and the string lines at the same time. So I'm going to leave this, the fast-moving string lines out. You'll have to listen to the cut or take my word for it that they're there. There's also the feature of a figure that is already very familiar to us, and that's the chromatic descending triplet figure uh, that finds its way at the end of each part of the second phrase. It's the thing that we remember at the end of the main theme, that bum, 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 bum. That appears in this theme as well, and that helps to create an overall narrative sense by tying in other things that Lorne has used before. He gets a chance to tell you the fact that this is part of the larger story. So I'll play the melody and the harmony here. You'll just have to imagine the fast-moving string lines, or just go get yourself a copy of the recording and hear it for yourself. Again, we're on cut three. This is the other part of the theme that I found really neat. 
once again, the piano does not do this part a whole lot of justice. Uh, Lorne uses brass so well, and it really gives you a sense of the power of this mission. And once again, there is harmony that implies both major and minor four chords for the reasons that we discussed before. Azrael has a noble cause. He's willing to do some pretty unnoble things in order to achieve that noble cause. Let's move on to cut four. This cut is about a place that we will visit this season, and it's a weird place. It doesn't make any sense as to why anybody would want to be there. And this place is kind of creepy, and that's all I'm going to say about it. But we do get a weird and kind of creepy theme for it as well. And Lorne portrays the creepiness by setting a harmonic tone that utilizes what will feel like a diminished chord, especially right off the bat. Now, what can I tell you about diminished chords? While major chords, as I've said before, typically are lighter and minor chords are typically more serious or darker, a diminished chord goes all the way to the end of the minor spectrum and it drops a note down even further. And what happens is, is the diminished chord creates a feeling of creepy or scary. And the reason why it sounds that way to us is because the chord itself is symmetrical. A long time ago, Pythagoras, yeah, the guy who did triangles, he told us a lot about the mathematics of music. And for some reason, even though we like our rhythms to be symmetrical, for the most part, as human beings, he found out that we do not like our harmony to be symmetrical as human beings. So anytime that notes are evenly spaced across the scale, meaning their intervals are the same distance between each and every note, it creates a sense of symmetry and we are disturbed by that. In the case of a diminished chord, there are actually four tritones within a single diminished chord. There's one between each note and it's other note that is two notes away. I think I did that math right. Sorry if I confused you there. And you don't need to know any of these things at all, really. All you need to know is that a diminished chord sounds scary, and a diminished chord is kind of the basis for this particular theme. It feels that way because a diminished chord can resolve a whole lot of different ways. I think 16 different ways a single diminished chord can resolve. And that's just too many possibilities for our brain to have. It creates too much of a suspense for us. We can't calculate. We might guess correctly based on the context prior used, but there's always a possibility that it won't resolve where we thought it was. And for some reason, our brains just go, oh, that's scary because of that. Even though we don't even give it a second thought, it's just the mathematics of the scale and the fact that it's symmetrical that really sets us off as scary. And this happens right from the intro. What happens is it feels like the chord is slipping down, kind of this sinking feeling. And what's happening psychoacoustically or in our subconscious brains is we're hearing the creation of a diminished chord from that sinking. Here's what the intro sounds like. It's very uncomfortable. It feels unstable. And that's what a diminished chord is. Even though it's symmetrical, we don't think of it that way because we get a feeling that things are kind of out of control here. If those notes are slipping down, then 
is anything going to be held up? Now, I will say that once the melody kicks in, it pretty much shifts the harmony straight to harmonic minor, which is still kind of a weird, odd scale to base all of your harmony on. It's done so so that the five chord can tonicize the one chord. But even then, the diminished chord is still applied at the very end of the phrase by the way that the harmony shifts to a place that you don't expect it to. That last chord especially helps add to that feeling of what? And why did that resolve that way? And where's it going? And then it actually ends up just going back to the beginning of the melody again. But it's just that moment that makes everything feel kind of creepy. Another thing that makes everything feel creepy in this, and I don't know whether he will be able to apply it in the series or not, but the timbres that he uses, and I'm expecting that this particular cut may sound more like the actual score that we get in the show, simply because it's so well done. But the instruments that are used, the timbres, especially with the melody, is the bell-like tones, which really ring through. And there's also with the kind of arpeggiated chords, the, the chord notes that are being played individually in the lower register, that timbre sounds kind of like a harpsichord. And I don't know, whenever I hear, hear bells and harpsichords, I do get kind of this creepy feeling. It feels kind of haunted housey in that way. So that's how this one with the timbres and with the sense of diminished harmony really makes this place seem weird and creepy. Now I'm moving on to the final cut that we're going to cover this time. And there are actually... 14 or 15 cuts in this record. So I'm sorry I couldn't get to them all. Again, my time restraints. I could have probably talked about one more, except I talked too much at the beginning. I will throw in this little clue. The last two cuts are the only two pieces of themes that we can actually hear being restated that we've heard before. The first of those, uh, which is, I think, cut 13 not going to say the title, but it is definitely Will and Lyra's theme that we heard in season two. And the instrumentation there is really neat. There's a guitar in it, and it's really lovely, so I encourage you to check that out. The last piece on the record actually uses the harmony from Lyra's theme. And there may be some little indications of Lyra's melody in there, but it's mostly the harmony. Remember that Lorne uses kind of a bi-directional approach to his themes. We heard him use a totally different melody on top of the theme for Mrs. Coulter. And likewise, we've heard him use a totally different harmony under the melody for Mrs. Coulter, especially in season two. This is the way that he is implying, you know, this moment in this show is about this character, but it's a whole different feeling from who the character is or it's a surprise for the character or it's something different for the character. So he puts a different melody on top of it to let us know. Or in the same respect, he says, okay, well, you know this melody as being for this character, but if I apply different harmony, I'm giving you different emotional context 
for that melody. So I definitely hear the chords for Lyra in this piece, but I don't hear a whole lot of the melody. This is not atypical of the way that Lorne does things. With all that said, let me get to this fifth and final cut. And this is the one where it's really hard for me not to spoil who this theme is about because it is the title. So it's kind of hard for me not to say the title. Uh, Maybe I can. Maybe this is a character who takes a great interest, let's just say, in things a la magisterium. I'm just going to say that. But one thing that the music tells us is there's going to be some real tension around this character right from the get-go, right from the intro, right from this. Now, that tension is caused by the interval or the distance between the notes. And this particular interval is called a major seventh. And the dissonance occurs because if you actually place these two notes within the same five-note range, they'd be right next to each other. For our Western ears, that's about as dissonant as you can get because they just clash with each other. The waveforms are too close together and there's cancellations and our brains can't take it. And the effect of that really carries over no matter which octave either of the notes are played in. And that's why even a major seventh feels Almost, maybe not quite, but almost as tense as two notes right next to each other being played at the same time. And if that's happening right at the beginning, again, you can imagine there's going to be lots of tension regarding this character. Lauren, using that interval, is telling you, hey, this dude is pretty scary, or at least pretty uncomfortable. The melody itself also tells us something about this character. While it is centered mostly in the harmony of minor, either melodic minor or harmonic minor or pure minor, because there's instances where the harmony implies any of those, which helps also create a sense of either ambiguity, but still centered around darkness, right? But especially with the harmony, if you notice where the harmony is in relation to the melody, it moves parallel sometimes, and sometimes it holds while the melody continues, and sometimes it plays when the melody holds. Now, this is an old contrapuntal trick that's been done, well, since Renaissance music, or at very least since the Baroque period. But one thing that it implies, the rhythms here between the two lines is a calculation. So what can that tell us about this character? Harmonically dark and rhythmically calculating. So here's what that sounds like. It helps kind of create a tension all in itself, right? When certain notes move and other ones don't. But if you're still kind of on the fence about this particular character, there's an interlude of chords, an interlude of harmony that really tells it all because it uses parallel minor chords. Sometimes those chords don't even fit in the key, which makes it feel even more weird and scary.
they're all minor. And because those minor keys don't really fit together very well, it almost feels a little deranged, right? And that's the fifth tune. So that's going to do it. Thanks once again for joining us for this musical exploration of Series 3. Again, Lauren Balfe, a wonderful composer. He's always doing wonderful charity things, too. So please follow him on Twitter, at Lauren Balfe on Twitter, while Twitter still exists. And participate in some of his uh, charity things because he gives away really cool stuff uh, from albums that he's worked on or from movies that he's worked on. It's always got a lot of star signatures on it and that kind of thing. Uh, He's always doing wonderful things for charity. So be sure to follow him. He's a great follow also. And uh, he really engages with the audience, especially regarding his dark materials, because it's a personal favorite of his. If you're interested in more about what his composing is about and everything, go back a few episodes in our own podcast feed and check out the interview that we did with him a long time ago, right after series one was airing. Uh, We did a interview with him and he was absolutely wonderful. And he, like I said, he does a lot of great charity things. We will be back this coming Thursday with a brand new podcast. I promise Holly will be here. So it's not just me boring you. Uh, She always has lots of wonderful thoughts and is very funny. So you will enjoy having her back. I am sure. Be sure to uh, contact us via all of our social media availabilities and let us know what you are thinking of the series. And we will see you on Thursday with our coverage of episodes one and two of His Dark Material Series 3. This has been Matt. Thanks so much for joining me. Double P Media, doublepmedia.com.